Joshua chapter 7, and uh, Brother Zach, I think we need to turn this lapel down just a little tiny bit. I'm hearing a ring. Joshua chapter 7, we're going to start here this morning, and uh, for those of you that are visiting or this is your first time here, uh, we are looking forward to our 20th anniversary of our church. Our church will celebrate its 20th birthday uh, between July 7th, I mean, yeah, July, there we go, I'm in the right, ladies meeting didn't affect me at all yesterday. Um, October 7th through the 14th, and uh, I am excited about the preachers that we have in. Of course, uh, Brother Clayton is coming in on Sunday, and he'll be preaching through the first half of the week each night, and then he'll be joined by other preachers uh, that have had a part in the history of our church. Brother Richard Johnson worked with us our first two years, and uh, he'll be preaching, and uh, 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 Brother Dana Dice spent his first six months in New York City here at our church before he started Gospel Light there in, in Jamaica. And he'll be on Monday night and, and we'll have uh, Brother Saravia on uh, Friday night. And uh, Brother, Paul, uh, Brother Ray Nielsen is going to be here on Thursday and Brother Charlie Horton on Wednesday. And then Brother John Marshall is going to come in and he'll be the uh, second speaker Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then Sunday night is Brother Paul McCardle. Most of you have never met Brother McCardle, but uh, he was the pastor of All Nations Bible Baptist Church. And when we moved to New York City in 1991, we spent our first year working with Brother McCardle at that church, just learning how to live in New York City. And so uh, I had heard uh, actually several years back that Brother McCardle was in ill health and wasn't able to travel, but uh, I just called and he's doing much better and I am so, so excited about the men that are going to be here. And uh, what I've chosen to do these last several Sunday mornings before our anniversary uh, is just go back through a little bit of the history of the church uh, in, in the preaching. And different sermons. Now, I don't know how much they meant to you. Many of you weren't here when these sermons were preached. Uh, but they surely meant a lot to me as I preached them and, and still think about them uh, many years later. And uh, I figure if I need it, you need it. Amen? And uh, this morning's sermon's got a kind of an unusual uh, title, Neglected, Rejected, and Unexpected. Uh, and the sermon has to do about faith. God does not always do with our faith what we want Him to. Sometimes He does some very, very strange things. And see, faith in its simplest idea is what? It is believing God's Word to the point of action. Now, if you believe God's Word and never do anything about it, that is not faith. That's just more oatmeal, a warm, wishy-gushy feeling inside. Faith is believing God's Word to the point that you act upon it or live it. 
And God sometimes puts us in a situation, and, and this is one of the reasons why you need to be here for Sunday school, because we're going to be using many of the stories, uh, several stories in the Bible to help us see how this is lived. And uh, if you are not here and don't already know the story, we don't have enough time to uh, go through each story in detail like we do in our Sunday school. And so uh, you'll have to go back and get some of this on your own. But Joshua chapter 7, God gave Joshua a command. He said, I want you to go in and I want you to conquer the land of Canaan. No man's going to be able to stand before you. Just believe my word and I am going to make things happen. And of course, the city of Jericho, some incredible things happened, did they not? I mean, the massive walls of Jericho came tumbling down. The archaeologist tells us that those walls were uh, more than 15 feet thick at the top. I mean, solid stone. And the Bible says every man went straight up before him. They didn't climb over the rubble. There was just no wall. I mean, that'd be like driving onto the battlefield in one of them great big battle tanks. And all of a sudden you find yourself sitting on the grass because the tank's gone. Uh, I mean, God did this. Now, how many of you know what happened next? They went up to the battle of Ai, didn't they? Just a little town. They said, let's not trouble the whole army, Joshua. Just a few of us will take care of this. And 36 men died. Now, that's not a lot of men compared to the entire nation of Israel. But let me tell you, if that was your father you had to bury, that was a lot of men. And Joshua and the people of Israel, it says they're just heart, heart melted. They had no courage left. And, and we pick up our reading here in verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes... And by the way, he didn't have a closet full. Uh, someone would have to make him new clothes before he went back out in public. And he rent his clothes and fell on the earth, fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Now, I love the Lord. I love the way he answers Joshua. Read with me verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, I feel your pain, right? Joshua, I understand. I'm a God of great empathy. No, the Lord said, and the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up! Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? You see, Joshua had a crisis of faith. God had appeared to him personally and told him what he was to do, and it didn't work. 
Now, don't look at me and say, that never happened to me. Because we've all tried to obey the Bible. And we've all had the same mistaken notion that somehow God changed the rules for this one. Now, God's answer is the same. Get up. What in the world are you slobbering about? God did not change his mind. He did not change his word. Joshua had no idea what had happened, but God did. Achan had sinned. And God said, listen, if you don't get the sin out of the camp, I'm not going to be with you anymore, period. You see, faith is always in obedience to God's word. And when you disobey God's word, faith stops working. Now, Joshua had no way of knowing what Achan did. It was hidden. And sometimes things happen to us and we have no understanding. The first place you got to understand, you got to look. God is not the problem. We are. Innocent people always suffer because of wicked people's sins. Always. But God will always enable you to obey his word. Joshua didn't need Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson to come and analytically... By the way, Sherlock Holmes never analytically did anything. It's all fiction, my friend. There's no deduction. It's just fiction. God said, line up Israel and we'll pick the problem. And so the 12 tribes, the heads of the tribes lined up. Not this one, not this one, Judah. Then the heads of the families of Judah lined up and it said this one. And then the individual families inside that family unit, that one, that is the man. And so Joshua is standing there before the congregation of Israel numbering maybe two and a half, three million people. This wasn't done in a secret. All of the nation knew that Achan was the one that was picked. And Joshua looks at him and says, God says you're the problem. What did you do? And Achan said, I disobeyed God's law. And Joshua said, you've troubled the entire nation of Israel. Now we're going to trouble you. The valley of Achor, the valley of judgment. You see, when Achan refused to obey God, guess who paid for it? His entire family. You say that that's not that's not just. Well, wait a minute. How in the world did he bury a wedge of gold, two hundred and fifty shekels of silver? and a Babylonian garment in the middle of his tent and his family not be party to what was going on. 
I was thinking about it the other day. We used to have some very strict laws in this country about people who were accomplices to other people who committed crime. It used to be if you drove the car and the person committed murder in the robbery, you were up for murder one because you drove the car. You know, we have emphasized personal responsibility that this driver had nothing to do with it to the point in our legal system that nobody's responsible for anything anymore. Let me tell you something, oh, Father. If you're here today, you're responsible for your family. Ladies, if you were here at our ladies' conference yesterday, that was the theme of our conference You're responsible for those around you. You never break God's words. You know, in this sermon that I'm about to, we're getting through the introduction here, really hit home in my life was fall of 1999. Most of you don't remember that time. Some of you do. That was when we were only $150,000 short of our needed mortgage payment. Let me tell you something. That was not a pleasant time. But I knew one thing. God was going to do something. I didn't know what he was going to do. And now that it's all over, I'm glad he did it his way and not my way. Because God has to do things to our faith in order to make it work. And those things that he has to do are not pleasant. We have been trained with this kind of Christianity. That it's all roses and no thorns and it's just going to keep getting better and better, O Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do, which means I have no plans of doing anything. God's just going to keep blessing. No, that's not the way it works, my friend. If you're going to have faith, God's going to do something with it. What happened at Jericho did not happen again in the book of Joshua, my friend. Because God put their faith to the test. 36 men had to die because of Achan's sin. Achan and his accomplices were put to death because of Achan's sin. And the children of Israel fulfilled most, not all, of the words that God had given Joshua. Amen? Are we together? An illustration, a living picture of faith. Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 11. Sometimes God chooses to neglect our faith. You say, but pastor, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Well, I, I'm not here to make sense. I'm here to just tell you that sometimes God chooses to neglect your faith. He, he will ignore it. And you will do everything right and everything the way you know you're supposed to. And you are trying to do what the Bible says. 
And all of a sudden, it just seems like God has put you on hold. I like what one preacher said. I, I don't like it to happen, but it's true. It says, when God puts you on hold, he doesn't play pretty music. But God always has a purpose. How many of you know the story of Lazarus? Did not God neglect the faith of Martha and her sister Mary? Yes? No? He did. They sent to Jesus a message. He whom thou lovest is sick. Now, if you had someone who was dying and Jesus was in his earthly ministry, where would you go? You go to Jesus, right? I mean, they knew where to put their faith. They knew who to ask. They believed and they were absolutely correct that Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus. Isn't that true? When did Jesus show up? Four days after the funeral. Now, was Jesus being cruel to Martha and Mary? Uh, no, that's not possible because he is not cruel. God is always good. He's never anything but good. Did Mary and Martha feel like Jesus was being good at that time? As they wrapped their brother up and put him in that tomb, as they grieved there for three days and then finally sealed the tomb, finally that tomb would not be opened again until one of them died and was buried in the family tomb next to him. I want to tell you something. God, Jesus, showed up four days after the funeral. It was all over. But he was right on time. You see, God has something a little bigger than you in mind when we talk about faith. Jesus was about to do something that would cause even the scribes and the Pharisees, those that had argued with him his entire public ministry, he's going to split that group right down the middle. He was going to make a division. We don't know how many of them. The Bible doesn't tell us what the percentages are. But look with me here and just catch this verse. Verse 44 of John chapter 11. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews, it says, Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did. What's it say happened there? They believed on him. Jesus was willing to put Martha and Mary through that amount of suffering that these people who would not be saved any other way could be saved. 
are we together? But he had to neglect their faith and say no to them when they thought they needed Jesus the most. But was God still working? Excuse me. Was God still working? Was he accomplishing what his word said he would accomplish? Who was the problem in this situation? It was not Jesus. It's interesting here. People like to get on Martha and give her a hard time. But you know, Lazarus too. It was Martha that said, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. It was Mary that just fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother hadn't died. Read, read the story. But Jesus neglected their faith. In fact, the shortest verse in the Bible was found in this passage here. Jesus wept. You ever thought why Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb? Was it because he missed Lazarus? That's what everybody thought. How foolish. He knew Lazarus was coming out of the ground, that they were going to have fellowship again and very soon. Jesus wept because of the unbelief of everybody around him. The unbelief of Mary, the unbelief of Martha, the unbelief of the Jews, the religious leaders. I almost wonder if Jesus didn't have a few tears because he knew Lazarus would have to go through this process of getting sick and dying again. But it was all in God's work of giving his word to the world in which he lived. Could you trust God to neglect your faith so he could accomplish his greater work? See, Mary and Martha did not have the word of God like you and I do. We could look at them and we could say, Listen, why, why couldn't they just trust Jesus anyway? Let me tell you something. They didn't have what you and I have. They didn't have the end of the story yet. But we do. We have the end of the story. And every time something goes wrong in our life that we disagree with God about, what do we do? We blame God. Would you be willing to trust God enough to neglect your faith so he could accomplish his? I mean, one of the things I love about Brother Lucas's testimonies is you feel like you've been there and watched what's going on. You see, that might not be so exciting. Uh, wait a minute. He's there. Doing the work. I mean, we could tell lots of exciting stories, like when that $150,000 check did show up. One piece of paper. 
I still remember holding it in my hand and saying, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not reading this right. And it was for the whole amount. A man sent me an email two weeks before. He said, checks in the mail, hope it helps. Well, it did. <laughs> Just a little. I want to see God work. Do you? God works in response to faith. But when we stop trusting Him because of our pain and personal suffering, uh oh, God stops working. Because God's got to be bigger than what you're going through. Now, when you say amen to that, you're saying, okay, God, sign me up. But if you want faith, that's how you're going to have to get it. It doesn't happen by accident. Never accuse God of being anything but good. That was hard for Mary and Martha as they sealed that tomb. That was hard when somebody came in after everything was over and said, Jesus is coming. Yeah. It's too late now. That's not what Martha said. It's never too late when Jesus is there. I like her faith. But even she hesitated when he said, roll the stone away. And it's interesting here, Jesus never touched Lazarus because he was unclean from the dead grave clothes. They couldn't be made clean. He touched the leper because the leper could be made clean. But he told some other people, you're going to have to remove those grave clothes. I'm not touching those because they're unclean. And I wish we had time this morning. We'd preach a whole sermon on that. But... That faith was neglected. But God's word went forth. Can you trust him to do it his way, not your way? Amen? Let's get a little more amen and I'll go to the next point. Trying here, okay? Let's go to another story. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Now, this is the hardest of all. This faith was rejected. Jesus didn't just ignore it for a time. He said, it's not good. It's not good enough. How many of you know the story of the Syrophoenician woman, as we have come to call her? Jesus was in the coast, verse 21. Then Jesus went this and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. He went north into what we would call Lebanon. He was trying to have some time alone with the disciples, according to the text. But he had an alternative purpose there. He wanted to showcase great faith. Only twice in Jesus' ministry did he refer to someone as having Great faith. Most of the time, 
It was, O fools and unbelieving, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Let's read. Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. If you read in Mark, it says, Because of this woman's activity, he could not have a moment in private with his own disciples. He could not be hid. Because of what she was doing. Now look at his answer, verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now how many of you know what a Phoenician was? We know him by another name in the Bible. Philistines. Descendants of Goliath of Gath. That was this woman's heritage. She was a Canaanite. Uh, The Bible had some pretty nasty things to say about Canaanites. Right? And Jesus looked at her and said, I'm not here to solve your problems. I'm sent to the house of Israel. But it's going to go further. Verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now, commentators, they got a problem with this verse. (laughs) They're trying to explain that it really didn't mean what it said. Because that might not look so good about Jesus that he actually called this woman a dog. He did. Could could I tell you that she had faith in the right person? She knew that he could solve the problem. She knew he was the only one that could solve the problem. She worshipped him as God. And Jesus said, it's not me to take the bread that belongs to the children and feed it to the dogs. Now, Jesus had a plan here. He was not trying to hurt her, though I'm sure he did. But see, her faith transcended all of these things. And what was her answer? You you just got to read the words that are in your Bible. Verse 27, and she said, truth, Lord. She said, it's a truth. The meat that belongs to the children should not be given to the dogs. That's wicked. Children should not starve so dogs can live. Amen? That's the statement that's being said there. But then she goes on and says, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's tables. Now, we in America, we got a problem with anybody who thinks they're a little better than anybody else. Now, don't we? Any Texans here today? 
I know Texas is the biggest state land-wise outside in the continental United States. But we got more people that live in the New York City area than live in the state of Texas. You ever have any problems with Texans, Mrs. Lewis? <laughs> She's from Oklahoma originally. She knows. I didn't know what a Texan was until I showed up on the campus of Bible College. And I heard the cowboy boots clomping down the hall. Now, cowboy boots in the state of Maryland were only used for one thing. That's when you wanted to be a clown. <laughs> Think you were a cowboy, because there's no such thing as a cowboy from Maryland. There just isn't. We got a problem with that. But let me tell you, God doesn't have a problem with telling us that the Jews are his chosen people. This book you hold in your hand is a Jewish book. And unless we are willing to humble ourselves in the sight of God, faith will never work in your life. Don't come to God and think you're something. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, she would not be told no for one reason. She knew the only place she could get help was Jesus. Her daughter was vexed by a devil. And we're not talking about some stupid, filthy horror movie garbage. We're talking about a real devil doing real work, and he does. Now, don't be one of those people looking for demons in the cigarette packages and the spirits in the alcohol bottles are liquid, not demonic. But the devil does work. And the only place you'll get victory over the devil is at the foot of the Savior. You see... Your faith does not work because of who you are. Your faith does not work because of what you can do. Your faith does not work because you believe harder or more fervently than someone else. Your faith does not work because you have such a great need more than any other person. Your faith works be only if it's in God and in response to His Word. He rejected her faith twice, three times. He ignored her. He didn't answer her. He, the disciples finally came and said, Lord, we can't get rid of her. He says, I'm not sent to minister to you. She said, but I'm going to worship you as God. And he said, it's not me to take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. And she said, Lord, I don't need what belongs to the children. I just need the faith that belongs to me. You see, most of us, if we had been put in that situation, if we'd have turned around and walked the other way and said, that's not in the character of God to insult somebody. 
That doesn't make sense with the goodness of God. Why would he say those mean things to me and ignore me and treat me that way? It's not fair. And we go away with our faith unanswered. Faith is in God because he is God. And he will always do good. But he'll make you wait for it sometimes. He's going to stretch you a little bit. Because you're the one that needs testing and proving, not God. And by the way, faith that does not get answers is not real faith. It's just pretend. You pray and pray and pray and something doesn't happen. Well, maybe you're praying for the wrong things, my friend. There are times when God makes us pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. I've talked to people that have prayed 10 and 15 years for one thing. And God finally answered their prayer. That's faith. I met other people who said, I prayed all my life for this and it didn't happen. Well, that's not faith. Maybe it's your idea of what God ought to do. Well, why don't you let God do what he wants to do? Maybe he knows just a little better than you do or I do. Amen? So we have faith neglected. We have faith rejected. But in both cases, God's word goes forth. And we are challenged. I hope we are challenged to humble ourselves in the presence of Almighty God. And to seek His goodness and His grace instead of what we need. Amen? One more. The feeding of the 5,000. How many of you like that story? Right before lunch, when could be a better time to preach on the feeding of the 5,000? Amen? Uh, John chapter 6, if you would. And keep your finger in John chapter 6, and let's go to the parallel passage in Mark chapter 6, because we need to put this in its context so we really understand what's going on here. In Mark chapter 6, in verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. They had just finished a preaching tour. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Have you ever been so busy that you couldn't stop to eat? I mean, for some of us, that's quite a sacrifice. I mean, you have to be busy. Not to eat. And some of our men yesterday, we were serving the ladies food and all of a sudden it was like, hey, I didn't get anything. Is there anything in the bottom of that pot? (laughs) But Jesus said, come apart. Let's rest a while. How How many of you could use a good vacation? 
I think every hand in here would go up immediately, would it not? Well, that's what the disciples had been promised. They'd also just heard about the death of John the Baptist, their beloved friend, the man who had introduced them to Jesus. And Jesus said, let's go into a desert place and rest. Huh? And they departed into a desert place privately, and what happened? The people heard about it. 5,000 men plus women and children showed up. And what did Jesus do? He taught them. He taught them all day long. And you think I'm a long-winded preacher. I mean, Jesus taught them all day and the sun was beginning to set. And the disciples hadn't heard a word. When are we going to break out the barbecue? When when are we going to have a, a rest? They hadn't thought that they didn't even bring any food. I mean, what in the world were they trying to do here? Has anybody ever gone camping without food? That's not called camping. That's called survival. Normally, the best way to go on a survival hike is to put the food in the knapsack before you leave. Amen? If you're going to live off the land, let me tell you something. You're going to do a lot more living than you are eating. But the disciples, and let's go back to the book of John. Verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence... Shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. I call this unexpected faith. You see, they had just returned from a preaching trip. Jesus had given them power to heal the sick and and to preach his word and to do miracles, and they were reporting to him all the wonderful things they had done. Lord, we we did all these things. Listen to how we preached and how we were working and all of this. And Jesus says, let's take a break. And they're going, boy, this serving Jesus stuff makes you tired. I can't wait to get just a little rest and a little time with the Lord and, and get refreshed and go back out and... Jesus looks at him and said, "Uh, See all these people out here, Philip? How are we going to get food to feed them? Pathmark hasn't been invented yet. BJ's Wholesale Club or Sam's, they're just not there. And so you're going to have to make do with what you have. What do you have, Philip? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. I saw a sign in a church office one time. It said, we've got so used to doing so much with so little that now we're trying everything with absolutely nothing. You know, that's the way God really wants us to work. Because let me ask you a question. What can you bring to the plate that God can use? 
Nothing. God wants a warm body. But when you try to do something with that body, you usually mess up God's plan. Isn't that true? The thing that amazes me the most about this story is go back to Mark chapter 6 and verse 52. Now remember, Jesus fed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. Somebody did the math. Uh, Those five loaves of bread in order to feed those people would have had to have been about 1,200 foot long each. And the fish would have been about two tons. Now, how would you like to have seen a little boy that could carry that much in his lunch basket? Uh, That was not a little boy, my friend. Uh, No, Jesus did the miracle. They gathered 12 baskets full. We were collecting the bread after the ladies' meeting, and someone was saying, "I I wanted to say there are 12 baskets, but we only started with eight. Well, Jesus didn't even start with one and ended up with 12. Amen? But look with me in Mark chapter 6. He puts the disciples in a boat. Now remember, they're exhausted. They're coming for a break. They end up feeding 5,000 people dinner, 5,000 men beside the women and children. They gather 12 baskets. Jesus hurries them down the seaside, puts them in a boat, and they spend all night rowing the boat only to get about a mile and a half to two miles across the five-mile Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus appears walking on the water and scares the living daylights out of them. These are grown men clinging to the side of the boat, thinking, do I jump in the water and drown, or do I stay here and face this thing? And Jesus says, fear not. And Peter walks on the water. They all get back in the boat after Peter starts sinking. Verse 52. Let's read 51. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. What's that last phrase? For their heart was hardened. Have you ever thought you've done enough for Jesus? I've met some people say, well, I've had my time of service. I'm going to step back and let some of these younger people do it. That was a direct quote from a guy in, I don't remember where the church was. wasn't here. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. The disciples had been on the preaching tour, done miracles and all these things in Jesus' name. He says, let's take a break. They end up feeding 10,000 people dinner roughly. That would be a pretty conservative guesstimate. They get on the ship and they row all night. And finally, God touches their hearts. Could I, could I challenge you that God wants to do a work of faith in your life? And that He is willing to stretch you until you're willing to let Him work. Now, the longer you wait, the more he's going to stretch. Uh, by the way, that hurts. 
It's got to, my friend. God will sometimes choose to neglect your faith because he's got something bigger in in mind. He will choose to reject your faith at times because he wants to showcase that your faith is in him and not in anything else. And God will take the most unexpected times and things and circumstances to show you faith. Because faith, for without faith, it is, what's the next word? Impossible. For without faith, it is impossible. To please God. Now, if I were to ask you a question, how many of us want to please God? I think every hand would go up and say, I want to please God. Why else are you in church today? But you've got to have faith to please God. How many of you remember the struggle you went through to get saved? You know what that struggle was? It was getting rid of you. It was getting rid of your faith in yourself, possibly in your church or your religion. It was getting rid of your faith in the world system or the inherent goodness that dwells in man. What an awful short, shallow subject. Amen? But we got to get rid of faith in all of those things so that our faith can be placed in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross alone. That's how you get saved. And then we pick up the pieces and we say, now, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. Maybe you could use this in your service. Uh, God says, uh-uh. Uh, well, Lord, you know, I have some innate talents. I'd like to give them and offer them to you. He goes, no. I, I want it to be faith. You've got to get rid of you. And then we have a little success in our faith. God starts changing things in our lives. And we bring our faith to him with a great need. And he says, um... Uh, I'm not paying attention today. And people get discouraged and quit. That's not faith. God will only neglect your faith because he's got something bigger in mind. And you don't have to understand what he has in mind. Could you remember that, please? God's faith is not for you to comprehend what God is doing. God's faith is for you to tell other people that you believe in God no matter what. Amen? Sometimes God will just reject your faith like he did this woman. And when it's all done, he says, she had great faith. Because she didn't believe in herself. She didn't believe she deserved anything. She didn't believe that I had an obligation to help her through her problem. All she did was believe in God. And God always works. And one thing we as Christians all have to fight with. Haven't I suffered enough, Lord? Well, 
No. Uh, Lord, haven't I been stretched enough? Well, if he's still stretching, guess what? No. Can you trust him anyway? You know, you stop growing in your faith and God can't use you anymore. Now, how many of you want to have to go through all the things that the disciples did to end up at 3 o'clock in the morning looking at Jesus stepping over the side into a ship just so God can build a little more faith in your lives? Wouldn't it be a whole lot simpler just to surrender to Him this morning? Right here in church and come here forward and talk to God about that thing in your life. Faith is obedience to God's Word. Have you been saved? If you haven't been, this message means nothing to you. But you could get saved today, and then it could mean something. Amen? Are you struggling? Well, how about you bring that to the Lord and leave it here at an old-fashioned altar so He could show His faith? Amen? If we're going to see God work, it's got to be with faith because otherwise it's not pleasing to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I, I pray that we would look at the lives that were lived here in these stories. And that we would understand one thing. That you want to do things through faith so that you can get the glory. We bring ourselves before you this morning, and Lord, the truest and simplest form of worship is faith. It's obedience to your word. It's living it. We ask that you would use this time this morning to equip us to live by faith through this coming week. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together the hymn of invitation, a song we use often. Only